subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome everybody back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again here in the second week of August, ready to party. Hmm. I don't know how to respond to that. I've, I was going to say something that I lost track of my you're not. You're not ready to party, Rex. I'm sorry, man. It's... Life is crazy. You've got to be you've got to be ready because tonight's going to be a good night. Why is that? Because we're recording a podcast. Oh, that's so true. You know, we we have we're going to have a great conversation about the topic of today's episode. But, you know, before before we do that, we we have some housekeeping. We we. It's mm. been a rough week for for us. <laughs> so we we need we need to, you know, make sure that the other person's not going to go off the deep end. So Rex, how right, how right. have you been, buddy? Well, for the most part pretty good, minus some I was going to say minor annoyances, but there's a couple other things that uh... but I'm probably doing better than you. Oh I'm yeah. Thinking. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you <laughs> so i i can't wait to listen to last week's bonus episode and this week's episode oh boy because i feel like it's gonna be a complete 180 of like how i'm acting and how i'm talking mm-hmm like I, I I don't know what you've listened to, but I don't really remember the bonus episodes recording, to be honest. But I have a striking feeling I sounded awful. <laughs> From what I recall, you sounded better than I anticipated, actually. Well, that's good. I it's that's good that I was better than anticipated. But granted, but none I also l- haven't had a chance to start editing yet, so. This is true. You know, people are going to be like, start editing. That up, that came out last week. How how have you not started editing yet? Whoa, it's like, they, it's like these are recorded in advance. It's almost like we have a lot of stuff planned that we got to record early. It's almost like it might actually still be July. I mean, what? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You know what's funny is uh, we were I was I was listening to our Astro Monster episode which just came out not too long ago. It feels like and it's been, we, it feels like it's been like weeks since we did. Oh, well, I guess it has been weeks since we did it. It's and been it's four weeks out. since we recorded that. Has it? No. Yeah, it was the first week of July. We I I we literally say it's the first week of July in that recording. I I watched the movie on the eighth. No, July, because so. because the second week I had G Fest. The third week you had Ring, and we're in the fourth week. Whatever, I don't care to argue this. <laughs> because I'm right. No, 
Bing bong, you're wrong. No. My letterbox says I I watched the movie on the 8th of July, which would it, which is the Saturday for me. The 7th would have been Friday for you. So checkmate. So technically it's the... It's the first full week of July. And we're in the fourth full week of July. Let's just shut up. Let's let's move on. Time is time is a problem. I it, it I I'm kind of shocked it's still July, honestly. This month it has kind of like dragged. Ended. It feels like it ended like three times. Yeah, yeah. Which After is like say. Because usually I'm like, man, time is flying. Not that yeah. I not that I have a problem with the dragon, I just find it odd. It's that it's a little just... weird. It's a little weird. Cause yeah, it, it I I think part of it is because we've been posting episodes, but we haven't been recording because we've been occupied. Right. It's definitely think... been weird not recording. <laughs> yeah. We had two weeks off. Granted, I I still do you know, Goofy I still you. did I still did a lot. And I, I still did a lot. I did a kaiju conversation live, and then that became a bonus episode that I edited. And I had two kaiju weeklies since our last recording. And then I had a Monsters with Attitude stream. And I had a Chill with Kaiju Kim stream. And I had a Chill with Kaiju Kim vlog that I did over three days. I haven't really stopped. Mm-hmm. But you know, and and I edited like two videos at three, two, two, three, two, three. Someone's three. going a little crazy. Three, three, two, two. It's two. I edited two videos. Three, three, two, two, three, three, two, two. It's not funny. It's a little funny. But yeah, I've 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 been continuing to do content, but admittedly this last week has has been very interesting long very long <laughs> yeah um, i i'm not gonna get into it but yeah no it's it's been it's been a long long week long week. <laughs> mm. um but we are here we're better and we are ready to go Yes. Speaking of ready that, to... Have you watched any tokusatsu? I've watched a little bit. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so, okay. I've watched a lot of short films, which is kind of funny. Um, so at G-Fest, which um, everybody heard uh, last week, I got a Blu-ray from Haraguchi-san, uh, director of Ultraman Blazar. He directed a short... You mean Taguchi. Taguchi, sorry. Kiyoteka Taguchi. Taguchi-san brought a Blu-ray that you could purchase that had his entry into the uh, Telestan compilation film Mm -hmm. uh, titled Female Weapon 701. So, yeah, yeah. It's got a it's a reference to female scorpion, which was pretty literally cool. literally none of the G Fest audience is going to get that reference. Yeah, 
but I got it because of you. So thank you, Rex. Um, so I watched that. I watched both versions. There's a there's the Talistan cut, which is like missing two minutes of footage, mm-hmm. and then there's the extended cut, which basically just includes a back and forth between a girlfriend and her boyfriend, played by the actor who does Juggler's Juggler, and he's oh, cheating on her, and she literally catches him cheating on her as she's fighting the giant monster, and it's <laughs> it's a whole thing. But on that Blu-ray was also two other short films that he had done called Zone, which was a kaiju short film, and then mm-hmm. a zombie short film called Delta. So I watched mm-hmm. all three of those. Those were pretty cool. I mean, they're short films, low budget. There's not a huge story, as as to right. be expected. But it was pretty cool to watch them. Um, the Delta one was the craziest because it was like an ex-girlfriend and a side lover and a mother fighting over this guy. Mm-hmm. And it it was it was really weird. It was really weird, but it was it was fun to say the least. Yeah. Um and That's Zone good. was pretty cool. I like the the concept of Zone. It was like this this quarantine zone that these uh military guys were going to, you know, kill this this monster in. Um mm-hmm. so I watched those and I watched two zombie movies, which I'm noticing a lot of my tokusatsu now is is just zombie movies. Yeah. Um earlier this year I watched Zombie Self Defense Force and then I watched uh Girls Gangsters and Zombies. I watched uh actually those are the only two. Oh no, and then Stacy attacked the schoolgirl zombies. So I I've watched those three and then I ended up watching the nine, late 90s movie Wild Zero, which is a Ooh. very weird movie. Very weird. I've been meaning um, to check that one out because that's the one where it's like the rock band, uh, like it's the rock, like that Japanese rock band, and it, they're an actual rock band. They're just playing yeah, it's, themselves. It's real, it's real actors playing themselves. Real, yes, and real, it's uh, Guitar Wolf. Guitar right, Wolf. Yes. Yeah, and it's 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 funny. It's very funny. Mm. Um, I want to watch it. <laughs> And then I also watched one called Miss Zombie, which is this 2013 black and white like artsy film. Oh yeah. Um that kind of explores the dehumanization of this half zombie, half human. Mm-hmm. Um which was pretty interesting. It was kind of dark and gruesome. Like they they cover the topics of <clears throat> like abuse and and rape and and a bunch of right. stuff and it was it was a very heavy movie. Right. Um it was shot in black and white. It's a very quiet movie. Um very atmospheric in some parts uh which was pretty interesting. But besides those, I actually watched some J horror. Um oh, I watched two Nakata films actually. Um I watched yeah. his entry into the scary true stories. Um mm-hmm. On the DVD, it's titled Curse, Death, and Spirits, which is three short films, The Cursed Doll, The Inn Where the Ghost Lives, and the... I See, the titles on the DVDs are not the titles that I recognize. Like, the, 
the inn right. where the ghost lives is not what it's actually called on the DVD, but that's what I remembered it by. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another one. And those were his first J-horror films, mm-hmm. um, shorts. So it was really right. cool to watch his his first things. Um, the Inn Where the Ghost Lives is actually like the pre-pre-Satico mm-hmm. with a girl in a white dress with long blonde, oh. black dark hair. Um, which was really cool to see. And that's in the segment, the inn where the ghost lives. Mm. Um, and there's actually a video recorder involved with that story, which was really huh. cool. Um, and those were his, what's funny is those got their own release from the actual scary, true stories, DVD. Um, I get, I guess it's because Nakata is such a huge name that like, maybe it's those would be profitable solo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also watched his 2007 uh, Lafcadio Hearn inspired film uh, Kaidan, which mm-hmm. is his only period piece J horror, which very much felt like I was watching a 1960s horror film uh, from mm-hmm. Japan, which was really cool. So I got to watch those. That was actually oh. a lot of fun. Um, I'm curious, Rex, did I? Oh, and thanks to Nathan. We love Nathan at the of the Monster Island Film Vault. He got mm. me finally through the second disc of Ultraman eighty. Oh, so I've watched I've watched now thirteen or fourteen episodes of Ultraman eighty. So now I'm on ep- uh, on disc three. And force you to watch them. No, we 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 did a watch along where we watched the first two episodes ah. of that disc. And then that night I ended up watching like two more. And then today I watched like the remaining ones. Nice. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm I'm hoping that this becomes something we keep doing. And that way I can, you know, Maybe get you'll through. finally watch Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of hoping I can get through 80 and then I'm going to stop Ultraman for a bit. Watch in a zoom on because that's only 25 episodes. I should be able to get that done in like a few days and right. then it's ultraman tiga and then the tiga side story and then dina dina side story and its movie and then gaia its side story and movie and then zerth mm. which i can get done in the evening and then neos right and then it's cosmos which will probably put me at a hard stop again for a long time with 63 episodes and three movies to be fair i do hear cosmos is actually really good i've heard the opposite so we'll see but see, yeah, I no, I'm hoping. And nowadays, I hear it's one of the best Ultra series. So that's weird. <laughs> that's see, what I thought. I'm I'm hoping that I can end up getting through. I'd like to get. I'd like to finish all of the 1900s Ultra shows. I have a lot of Tokusatsu I'm planning, especially after recent life events. I I should be able to hopefully right. watch a ton more Tokusatsu. But what right. about you, Rex? I've just spouted out for about 20 minutes what I'm doing tokusatsu-wise. What what do you got for us? Well, I've actually watched a, a decent bit, I'd say. You know, on the TV front, I've watched... I've been continuing Ultraman Max. I'm on to... Uh, just today, I watched episode 30, so I've only got nine episodes left of that. So, getting close to the end. 
I believe last time I mentioned that I finished V3, I think. I don't remember you saying you finished V3, but I know you said you were getting close. I'm pretty sure I did, but just in case I didn't, yeah, I finished V3. It had some of the best last 10 episodes of Showa Rider. Not that I've seen a huge amount of Showa Rider, but I mean more than some people. <laughs> yeah. And with that, I've now started Kamen Rider Agito. Oh, nice. I've heard a lot of good stuff about Agito. Yes, I'm currently 20 episodes in already somehow. Oh, wow. I don't know how. It does not feel like I'm 20 episodes in at all. Outside of that, in terms of movies, if we're keeping on the Kamen Rider track, I've watched, I've rewatched both Kamen Rider The Next and Shin Kamen Rider. Okay. So... You rewatched. Is it the first that's more of a drama? The first is, yeah, more of like it's it's an action film with like some ro- a romance element. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Whereas the next completely drops that love interest character, never mentioning her, and is a J horror film. Well, we like stuff like that, which also features Common Rider V three. Really. His character's his character kind of sucks in the movie though. Oh, but is he like maybe, sidelined? I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, he's Hayato is very side sidelined in *Kamen Rider: The Next*. <laughs> uh. It's. I mean, to be honest, that duology, the weakest thing of the the first, and especially the next. Is how it treats its free common riders. Hongo was Hongo was pretty good in the first film, but there's some. I I I questioned certain writing decisions surrounding him, in the second film, that kind of paint him out to be Loki a pedo. I don't think oh. that's the intent, but that's kind of how it comes across. Oh. <laughs> Ichimonji kind of sucks in the first. He's okay in the next, but he's barely in it. And then V3 is just like... He's nothing like V3. <laughs> huh. Well, okay, there's, he's a little bit like V3. He's a little bit like V3. Well, not very much. Okay. Hmm. It, it's, it's certainly an interesting movie. I'll give it that. It's not the worst Kamen Rider film I've seen, despite what some people say. I wish I wish I could comment more, but <laughs> I've watched one one Kamen yeah, Rider fan. thing. Period. Big fan. Then again, though, I I did enjoy that one Kamen Rider film I watched. Best mm. of the Shin movies. Mm. Yeah. Outside of that, kind of going on that J horror track, if you will. Obviously, last recording I mentioned that I had. Rewatched Ring and seen Pulse. I'm not going to go into detail on those because that re- that exists. That's a bonus. Go check it out. Go check out bonus episode twelve. Yamazaki yes. exhibit J Horror Weekend and G Fest. Oh my! Yes, but outside of that, prior to 
prior to those screenings, I had also watched a couple other J-horror films. Oh? Including 2005's Meatball Machine. Okay, that's on my list to purchase. I've seen the trailer, and it looks bloody as, like... (laughs) How... I know it's a body gore movie. What's it... Like, what'd you think of it? I actually quite enjoyed it. I was surprised to find out it's actually a love story. Interesting. (laughs) I thought it was just, like, this meat grinder, like, body gore... I mean, like, that that's definitely a part of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it was, it was actually a pretty fun film. Okay. I, I'd seen the short film, the original Meatball Machine short film, like, very early this year. Uh-huh. And I'd been meaning to check out Meatball Machine for a while, so I'm glad I finally did. Okay. And then following that, I also watched the this short film. It... it some places say it's a sequel short film, but I'm, if I remember right, it's actually a prequel. It's called Meatball Machine Reject of the Meatball Machine Reject of Death, and it's directed by Yoshi, Mr. Yoshihiro Nishimura. Oh, well, wasn't he like an EP on Meatball Machine? I don't know if he was an executive. But, like, I know he was, like, a special effects artist on the first Meatball Machine. Actually, Keita Amamiya worked on the first Meatball Machine, I found out. Really? Yeah, he's credited in the movie. And I was like, what? No one told me about this. I need to... I, I think, if I remember right, some of his concept art for the movie is, like, a bonus feature as well. Interesting. Because he did some of the character designs. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I could get Meatball Machine for like 20 bucks. I need to grab that. <laughs> yeah. Eventually I'll check out the the final Meatball Machine thing. Meatball Machine Kodoku, but haven't had a chance yet. And it looks like the DVD that's in the United States has Reject or Death on it and the original Meatball Machine. Yeah. I also watched the first guinea pig film. Okay, that has been something I have been wanting to maybe watch because I'm going to like start going more into J-horror as well right. as like action and how so like I'm not going to watch Saw probably ever because I don't like needles. Am I gonna I and like just cutting open people? Like I, I mean, can't, I can't watch that. Hey, I I love the Saw movies, man. I I am hyped for Saw Ten. I just <laughs> I can't, like you know that that clip of I don't remember what actor, but the guy shoves a tube down his throat and like the eels go in his stomach. That clip, it's not from a Saw movie, but it's it's from a movie. Have you seen that clip before? Wait, describe it again. A very famous actor, I don't remember who it is, but he is chained to a table or a bed, and this doctor shoves a tube down his throat into his stomach and lets eels go into his body. I have not seen that film, but it, but from what I'm searching up, it looks like a Gore Verbinski movie. Wait, really? Yeah. 
No way. No way. I have never heard of this movie before. What you're describing to me sounds weird. <laughs> now, it's just that scene. Like, there, there's a whole thing to that scene. That Right. Is it? It's not the weatherman. It's. I don't think it's a Gore Verbinski movie. It, the, on Google, it's saying it's a cure for wellness. Is the name of the movie. That sounds right. I've never seen it, so I wouldn't know. Oh, it is directed by Gore Verbinski, and it's got who's the main actor? I don't know if this is it. Uh, well, so I the whole reason I brought that up was that didn't do anything to me. I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. I'm fine with like death and and stuff. But mm-hmm. the moment somebody gets cut and I'm not talking stabbed, I can do stabbed, but cut. Mm-hmm. That's when I like can't do it. Like in Pet Cemetery, the thing that I like I can't watch in that movie is not anything besides when the boy you've seen the original pet cemetery right i have not but i know rough i know the gist of the movie have you watched the remake yes okay so this probably isn't going to be a spoiler the old man his death Mm -hmm. that in the original movie at least so it's a razor blade on his achilles heel right and then his And then his mouth gets slit, and then he... So, I'm fine with the boy biting the throat. That Mm -hmm. I can live with. But it's the cutting of the heel... Tendon? Is that the issue? And the cutting of the mouth, and then the mouth, like, dropping even farther. That's (laughs) what I can't do. Like, that's when I get squeamish. Right. So, but like I said, I can do like slicing of like blades right. going into people. I just can't do that. Right. So the guinea pig movies, from what I understand, it's interesting because from what I hear, some of the later ones kind of play up a, a comical aspect to them, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Whereas this first guinea pig film it does not have any of that. It's pretty right, much... It's, it's... A, you get, like, your opening text of that a group of guys have kidnapped this young girl. And then it's just a compilation of different torture scenes, essentially. Is there a story? Not really. So it, it's it's quite literally just torture porn. Yes. It's, like, 40 minutes... It's, it's like, 20, 30 or so minutes of, like, the guy's like slapping, kicking, beating her. It's like a little a little section of him like pulling her nail or something. Okay. And then and then at the end they like stab a needle through her eye. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. that's the that's the only part where I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I might cause that happened, you were you the one no, you weren't. But there's a movie called Truth or dare right is it truth yes. or dare yes i know that movie and have you watched it i've seen like half of it okay once when i when i was falling asleep <laughs> so there ha- there's a scene that has to do with an eyeball 
And that was the one thing I couldn't do in that movie. Everything else I was fine with, like the fire. Wait, never mind. You haven't seen that far. But there's there's a lot of that that I'm fine with. It's just, again, I can't do this. If somebody gets sliced and they die, I'm fine. But it's when they get sliced and they're like still alive and they're having to deal with <laughs> their bodies hanging open. <laughs> so you watched Guinea Pig Devil's Experiment. Yes. Okay. Which thankfully was only 43 minutes long. So it's it's like I don't have to just watch what is essentially a waste of time torture porn <laughs> film. Gotcha. For like 90 minutes. Because that would be hell. Not, not even just like, not even because I'm necessarily terribly disturbed by it. It's just that like, it's dull. The most... The most I thought of the movie was like there's a couple establishing shots that kind of look nice, and that's about it. Okay, are you going <laughs> to watch? Because like it looks like there's a total of uh, one. There's like two, five or six of them, or seven or something. There's four more after that one. Are you going to watch those? Maybe. It depends. Not for a while. I mean, I'm a little interested in like how uh, comedic, how how mm -hmm. they're taking it comedically, and and there's some morbid curiosity of a does this actually get any better, and b how are you going to one up the effects? What will it will it actually disturb me? You know, right. And then my follow up question to that would be: Are you going to watch the four American? films oh yeah there's an american guinea pig series i forget about that yeah it looks like there's only four you've got um, american guinea pig boutique of guts and gore american guinea pig Sh uh, blood shock american guinea pig the songs of solomon which i've heard of that one i've heard that one's probably the best to my understanding and then american guinea pig sacrifice right yeah, I don't know. The, we'll figure that out another day if I watch that or not. There's also the Slaughter Special, which is a best of showcase. Huh. A, a best of. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you didn't care for it? No, not really. Okay. Interesting. The only noteworthy scene is, is like the end with the eye. About it. See, I feel like if I watch it, I'm going to be like, that's pretty all right. And then we're going to find out that I'm a demented, twisted weirdo. Because I'm going to be like, like, it's like, there's like a 20, the first 20 minutes of half of the thing is just some like bad act. It's like bad actors pretending to be like gangsters, like beating up like this one woman. And it's not like, it's not even shot interestingly or anything. It's just like, like one like lingering sh shot of them beating her up. Oh boy. And then it'll like fade to black and then they'll beat her up a different way in another lingering shot that lingers for like five minutes. Hmm. And it's like, ugh. Interesting. But at least... You know, I actually did watch, well, maybe this isn't quite tokusatsu, but I feel like there is, this has some relevance. Uh -huh. I watched 
the first two of three films in Takashi Yamazaki's Always Sunset of Third Street trilogy. Oh, yeah? Yes. So, so without like going too heavy into those, because there is one film that I didn't bring up that I wanted to bring up because I want to talk to mm-hmm. you about it. Um, how were they? And specifically, how was the opening of the second one? <laughs> well, the first one, I didn't enjoy as much as the second one, but the first one, it's it's a good, good, solid little family drama set in like the 1960s mm-hmm. with some fun energy and good comical beats. I particularly really liked Shinichi Tsutsumi's character as Mr. Suzuki. Mm-hmm. He is so funny. It's it's like it's like the male lead. You remember like One Missed Call? Yes. You know the male lead in that movie? I recall him. Yes. Yeah, it's that actor. He is hilarious. Oh. He he is hilarious. This movie and another movie he's in, absolutely hilarious actor. And he's he's so good in this movie. In, in both these movies. But yeah, like, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as the second one, but also it's because it's I would probably... When it comes to things like this, with, like, trilogies, it, I, the first movie is where I need to get invested, and then I'll be invested by the second film. I don't know if that made any sense. Well, I think it's obvious why everybody would be invested in the second film if you're listening to oh, this yeah, podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 but... Hit, hit, yeah, but the so the first movie there's like a a love story that there's there's a resolution to it sort of, but it it leave it very much leaves the door open for a sequel, and and yeah, the second movie. Oh my god, the second movie was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I I I adored the second movie. It. Bro, it hit it, me in the gut twice emotionally, man. Is it one of those rare occurrences where the sequel is better than the original? I would say so. I would absolutely say I loved the second movie a lot more than the first. Okay. Like I genuinely adored the second movie. It was it had it had the humor of the first movie, but I was more invested in the characters, so I actually so it was even funnier this time around. Yeah. I was, I was, by this point, I'm invested in the character's story, so I'm more interested in the drama going on, mm-hmm. whereas in the first one, it, I'm, I'm taking my time sort of getting into the drama, and the first, both of these movies are really long, so the first one's, ki- I kind of felt it was dragging a bit, mm-hmm. whereas the second movie, because I'm invested, that's less of an issue. And it's a, it was it was an emotional roller coaster, honestly, man. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And yeah, that that first scene. My oh my, what a way to open your movie. <laughs> so, speaking of emotional movies, I've already talked about a movie that we've both watched for about two hours. But I don't know your opinions, so I, I do want to hear your opinions on a very relevant topic to the discussion of atomic energy, and that's Christopher Nolan's oh. Oppenheimer. 
That's right. We did. We both have seen that. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to talk about it because there is a two and a half hour stream that turned into a bonus episode where you can listen to me and uh, Jack talk about it. And we talk, we go pretty deep. We get pretty deep into that discussion. Right. So I just want to hear your thoughts and then go ahead. Do you have any other tokusatsu you've watched? Not really, by the title of the episode. Okay. So go ahead and give me your thoughts on Christopher Nolan, and then we're going to talk about the main topic. Oh, God. I, I don't even... I don't even think I can do Oppenheimer justice. <laughs> it's a brilliant film. <laughs> I I was kind of just I wasn't as flawed flawed by the movie as you, but like I I'm just kind of crazy. So that's normal for me, but yeah, no, I re- I really enjoyed the film and that that ending definitely I'm 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 not doing the film justice at all. <laughs> I'm waiting. Is my words like I, I I don't know how to talk about it really. It, I feel like no matter what I say, I'm not going to do it any amount of justice. So okay, can you give a Spark Notes version, like thirty seconds overall what, 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 thoughts? Ah. <laughs> uh, I loved Cillian Murphy in the role. I love every, pretty much every actor is giving their A game, particularly like obviously Murphy, Robert Downey Jr. especially, but even like Jason Clark, who I was surprised to see in the film is they're all giving their A game. Nolan's direction is top notch. Like he. He's once again got that just, I don't know how to describe it. He's just got an eye for filmmaking. He's got an, there's an energy to Oppenheimer that's just, and specifically with like its pacing where somehow it feels really quick despite being three hours long. It's got incredible sound design that is just amazing to experience on the big screen, particularly that scene. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to really do it justice. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's a spark notes version. <laughs> so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and go into the main topic of today's episode. Ooh, and I wonder and what that could be. Today we're talking about yeah. uh, um, mm, oh man, no. Um, hang on, let me let me look back at my notes real quick. What are we talking about? Are we talking about verses? I feel like no. I heard the term versus before. I, I wish. I wish we were talking about versus. We, oh, we so this isn't as good as versus. Okay. That's not what Are... I was saying, but we all love versus. Um, shoot. I don't have it in my notes. Um, 
Rex, yes, can, can 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 you help me here? God, I'm always so unprepared for these titles. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're a failure. We all know this. Damn. What? What? Right for the jugular. Yeah? Is there something wrong with it? Uh, you know, no, no, no. Exactly. So Rex, what, what are we covering? I'm gonna, God, I'm afraid well, I'm not even ready now. Well, August is a funny month because we, very recently in July, got the trailer for Godzilla Minus One. And right. in anticipation for Godzilla Minus One, you and I decided, wouldn't it be great if we started watching Takashi Yamazaki films? And I thought we made that idea that that decision like months ago. Yeah, yeah, but but we decided to schedule episodes to maybe have even a themed month. Oh, that's right. Are we in August? Are we covering one of the Always movies? No. Because you're a failure. <laughs> Today, dear listeners, in this first proper episode of Yamazaki. Oh, Mon- we're covering Godzilla minus one. We got the print early, right? No. Oh. Absolute degenerate. Is it Shut ghost up. book? Ghost story? No. I don't no? think there's even I don't think there's even an, any English translation of that. Let okay. Um, is it, it war for the Archimedes? <laughs> that, that does that was mean I was right? No, but racist maybe. <laughs> <laughs> are are we? Oh, we're gonna cover one of the rides. No, sadly not. Oh. Oh, um. This is awkward. Now, if you'll stop interrupting me, then maybe I can say what we're watching. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let's let's return back to you. What what are we talking about? Well, today we're talking about the 2002 Takashi Juvenile. Yamazaki. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Takashi Yamazaki's 2002 film Returner. Um, yes. let me, let me make sure I, I, I watched that movie. I don't know if I did. Oh, a failure. I got notes. I did watch the movie. You're still a failure. Thanks, Rex. Your, 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 your confidence in my ability to succeed always helps me. Yeah, because I have no confidence in you. So I have to do everything around here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who pooped in your cereal, but you're you're going for a jugular today. <laughs> no one actually, actually, yeah, all the Barbie people on my bus did. Oh. Yeah, so, crap, man. <laughs> so yeah, today we are covering the 2002 film Returner. So that's what I said. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I was just reiterating what you said. So, Rex, how do you want to go about this? Do we want to talk about the movie and then the 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 research we did, or do you want to? How, how do you want to do this? 
Mm. Well, I'm curious because I found a little bit, but I didn't find very much surrounding like the background and creation of the movie. So I was kind of wondering if you, I was kind of wondering what you may have found if. So, okay. So I did find a little bit. Um, okay. So this, this was Yamazaki's second film, second film. ever. Um, yeah. His first film was Juvenile. And what's interesting is he brought the exact same crew from Juvenile onto Returner. And mm-hmm. a lot of his crew would even come back. Actors. Even some, yeah. Uh, one of the main actors. Uh, uh, yeah. And Suzuki. And Suzuki, who played Millie. Um, mm-hmm. Miley. Is it Miley? Millie. Millie? Okay. Because it's pronounced um, in the film. She uh, she was in Juvenile. And what's interesting is actually a lot of Yamazaki's crew is is brought back in, in all of his films. A lot of his right. crew members are, are in his Always trilogy, Eternal Zero. Yeah. All of those movies. Um, I mean, and Suzuki, I think, has even appeared in like some of his more recent movies. Like, I Ghostbook. She was in Ghostbook. Yeah, she yeah. was. She played the mother. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I couldn't remember so, if it was her or someone else who was in Ghostbook. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did my research on the cast and crew. I um, don't doubt that. This. So what Yamazaki in in his uh, production diaries commentary brought up that this film uh, started production a year and a half after his first film finished. So it was a long gap for him. So he kind of had to get back into the swing of things. I actually haven't seen Juvenile, but to my understanding, it is a science fiction movie as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's interesting is there wasn't a definitive source for this saying that this was absolutely true, but I was reading some rumors that that Returner may have actually been originally envisioned as a sequel to Juvenile. Interesting. So, yeah, there wasn't any, there wasn't really any details past that point. And then, as well as that, I also did read that somewhere, sometime after Juvenile, I want to say before Returner, from what I could gather, because the article was in like two, the source it listed was from 2001. It sounded like Yamazaki had an idea for a film that would have been titled Nue, which would have been an original work, presumably based on the on a yokai of that name. Okay. But due to like budgetary reasons, the film that film was never made, and instead we eventually got Returner. Right. And what's interesting about Juvenile is it kind of, I mean, it was Yamazaki's first film, and that kind of birthed his production company, uh, Robot Communications. Right. Um, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, this, uh, All of his films have been through Toho as well. So Toho worked on, on Juvenile, they worked on Returner, the Always films, yeah. uh, Minus One, obviously. <laughs> um, the Always so films, this, obviously, as well. Right. So, you know, it's I would love to watch Juvenile. It looks pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just never been released stateside, so I've never watched it. Right. Um, but because All I of know the about Juvenile is what the little robot looks like. 
Right, right. <laughs> um, but production for Returner started October 17th of 2001, and they filmed until January 21st of 2002. So they had about a three okay, month. Yeah, that must period. have been that must have been after the Nui idea got scrapped. Yeah. Um, and then of course it was released August thirty first of two thousand two, and it opened at number one at the box office, which it yep. actually beat out. Um, I believe a Back Studio Ghibli film. Oh really? I think if I remember correctly, I know it, I know it beat out like Star Wars Episode two and the live-action Resident Evil movie. Let me let me double-check. I might be thinking of something else that I was reading. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, oh. like you said, it, it beat out Resident Evil Star Wars to attack the clones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it actually did get a U.S. theatrical release October 17th of 2003, yeah. so a little over a year later. Me. Mm-hmm. And it got an English dub, and that dub's obviously on the DVD. Um, interesting thing. So at one point, I was looking at the Roku print. And I don't know if this was a bug or not, but the Roku print was playing the Japanese audio and the English dub at the same time with the subtitles. <laughs> so I'm hearing one thing that I don't understand, then I'm hearing another thing that I do understand and reading something that's completely different. It was probably <laughs> one of the worst experiences ever. Thank God I have Wait. the DVD for this. So, okay, so is it like you started watching it like that, but then switched to the DVD? I watched it on DVD, then while I was reading, I was watching it, on the streaming until I was done with my research. And then I was going to go back to the DVD. So like half the movie granted, I'd already watched it. So I like, it wasn't awful, but half the movie, I, I listened to both audio tracks on, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> it was. Yes. Yeah. That's something. But the film, while a co-production with Toho, it was also shot at Daiei Studios, which I thought was really cool. Um, I believe it was their Kyoto, um, their Kyoto branch. But towards the end of filming, like end of December, early January, they actually ran out of funds. So they were just trying to scrap together what they could from sets. And what's funny is the stuff they filmed at the end was all of the studio filming. So that was like your indoor fights and your uh, Tibet like opening sequence. All of that was when they had no funds. But I still think it looks really, really? good for their production. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um, That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, I also read that the production designer for this film actually doesn't like science fiction movies. But he did like make it a point to say he enjoyed having the ability to let his creativity flow and be able to produce the science fiction stuff he did. It was a little difficult because it was all like this brand new stuff. So they mm-hmm. kind of took inspiration from things that already existed. Um, right, which, which you can this definitely film, see in the film. Yeah, this film does not take its future very, very like outlandish. Oh, and I then I also like it's it wears its inspirations on its sleeves. 
That's true. We're going to get into that especially. And then the last thing I read is they actually went about the action sequences a little differently in this film. Traditionally, like you would hire a company to do your stunts, right? Right. Um, I think of like, uh, is it the Japan Action Heroes? That's the the Japan Action Club. And there's like AAC Stunts, which does a lot of like the stunts for Garo. It's the main Gamorous, Heisei Gamera suit actor. Oh, yeah. And he also played like King Ghidorah as a part of like AAC Stunts. So, yeah, that's that's the typical way that works in Japan, right? Yeah. But for Returner, their action director went and hired specific people from different companies to do the action for this film. Um, He refused to go and pick one like company, which was very different for Japan at the time. Um, And he ended up having to like fight with Yamazaki because Yamazaki refused to allow actors to be on strings during the action. So they had mm-hmm. to like use creative ways to like get the actors on, on some sort of harness to like get them to fly and, and jump dramatically. <laughs> right. Um, but at the end of the day, they ended up finding a way to make it work, which I think it ended up looking pretty good. All things considered, and yeah. this film, especially during uh, – so I found out Yamazaki is known for saying, in the future, we're going to fix this. And that's him basically saying, we'll fix this in post, which <laughs> is kind of like the no-no for new directors. But also thinking about Yamazaki and how effects-heavy he is, like that doesn't surprise might be me. The, might be the one director – I can think who get a, who can get away with it because he actually fixes it in post. Yeah, because he he was the writer, director, and effects director for this movie. Right, and then his his two companies, uh, Robot Communications, his production company, and Shuragumi, the company that he helps run for a post production house, worked on this film. So he he definitely at least knows what he's doing when it comes to post production effects. It's kind right. of funny to think that people are saying minus one and Oppenheimer are going to be a good double feature because you have Nolan who's like, get it on film. Like it has to be on the camera. And then you have Yamazaki. That's very, we'll do this in post. So both mm. directors have very different opinions on VFX and SFX. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, and, and he was known for, like, at least pointing out on set, like, we're going to do this in the future. So he had to explain in detail, like, what the actors were looking at and what they were going to be doing and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if he, has, if he has a good grasp on, is able to properly plan out what he's going to do in post, then then already that's less of an issue than a lot of, like, Hollywood directors who, when they say oh we'll just or producers when they're like oh we can just fix this in post when they don't really know what about vfx yamazaki with a vfx background potentially may have been a bit better (laughs) right right especially when you consider i think this film only had about roughly i want to say it was like 260 vfx shots was the number i read yes yes 
And while some of those shots aren't the best, there's actually some pretty decent CGI in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it definitely helps that Yamazaki, like his first credit was on Sweet Home, which he did special effects right. for. He also worked on both Echo Echo Azaka films. Mm-hmm. He worked on Parasite Eve, and like, I mean, later, he got a stop for Juzo Itami's filmography, essentially, right. And then he he did the effects and was director and kind of and writer on like Juvenile, like we already said, the Always Trilogy, Space Battleship Yamato, Parasite mm-hmm. Part One and Two, Lupin the Third, the First Ghost Book, um, and most recently or uh, coming up Godzilla Minus One. Um, mm-hmm. But also his his uh, production house Shirogumi that he he didn't found, but but he's one of the main heads of it. They worked on films like House. They worked on yeah. that. Um, Hypnosis, uh, Ultraman Saga, um, Attack on Titan 1 and 2, Shin Godzilla, Gintama 2, Shin Ultraman, and Shin Kamen Rider. So Yamazaki's definitely one of the most qualified when it comes to uh, your VFX. Right. But that's really all I have on on the development of this Mm-hmm. film uh there's also an alternative version for the tv that was cut down to 95 minutes from the original 116 minute runtime um mm-hmm. that just basically cuts out the china uh, the chinese yakuza mafia subplot um ah. that's all removed and it's it just kind of streamlined it a bit right so i mean that's all i really had um, the rest I have are notes on like the film itself. So unless you've got something you would like to add, I think Honestly, I'm ready the only, to like my minor behind the scenes fact that I have that you haven't already mentioned is that like just like they use the same sort of one of the same color grading techniques as Godzilla Final Wars. Okay, which is that's like- a per- that's a perfect segue to what I want to talk about a little bit here. <laughs> so there was a scene in this movie where I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Um, specifically the motorcycle chase sequence where the Yakuza is chasing our main characters on a motorcycle. They're in a, they're in a car. Yeah. But the, the cinematography, the editing and the action that takes place at towards the end of the f- chase. Um, all is very similar to Godzilla Final Wars. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but wonder, and, and this film is very, very American. Mm-hmm. Um, something that Kitamura was known for was kind of being more of a Western director than an Eastern director. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film, I think, is, is a prime example of that. I really am curious if Kitamura saw Returner and was kind of influenced by it to yeah, for final wars I, I to an extent i definitely got kitamura vibes from a lot of the action in this film i mean it didn't help that the main character wears like a black tre- a black leather trench coat which is basically a kitamura trademark <laughs> at right. this point <laughs> given like that's what his character in versus was dressed as and that's why yeah, half the characters in the live are wearing black trench coats. 
Right. And then obviously in Final Wars, the all the auxilians are in like the long black leather trench coats. Right. But yeah, I mean, not only that, just like the the Hong Kong style martial arts action as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's definitely more Hong Kong in Matrix E, but it 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 just added to that Final Wars or Kitamura right. vibe really that I was getting. Right, and and I mean, in all fairness, this movie's basically ET meets Matrix meets Terminator meets. Uh, Independence Day meeting a Yakuza film like it, mm. it's basically a hodgepodge of all those and yeah and it's very obvious that they're taking influences from those there's oh. even there's even a like at the end of the film uh we're jumping ahead here but one of the characters is fading away from her time travel much like back to the future mm. and there's even a character in this movie called Dr. Brown hmm. which is Doc, like Dr. Emmett Brown of Back yeah. to the Future played by Christopher Lloyd. So I, I can't help right. but think that this movie's kind of a love letter to like these popular oh, I, science fiction films. Yeah. Oh, I definitely got the Matrix and Terminator vibes especially. I didn't quite mm-hmm. pick up on the E.T. vibes until the very end where I'm like, wait, this alien looks a lot like E.T. Right. <laughs> And then Independence Day, just kind of the way the ships are designed to me, kind of, and, right. and even the aliens, the aliens are kind of like that Independence ish. It's, it's a bit of a mix of Independence Day and the e, and the ET. Yeah, so I, it, it's it's a hodgepodge of a lot of different science fiction that I'm I'm accustomed to, right? Um, but like this stuff shows back up in, I mean. Final Wars is basically Returner, just with Kaiju involved, <laughs> minus the time travel. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's 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 interesting and minus to see the whole Yakuza tri- Chinese triad type deal, right? Um. So you know, it's it's really weird to see these two movies and they both kind of do the same thing and they both clearly have the same influences. And I didn't even know they had the same color grading, but now that you bring that up like that, it's, adds it's a whole like other... the same technique. I, it's like a bleach pass. I, I don't remember the exact name. Hang on. Okay. It's called a bleach bypass. Hmm. Essentially what it does. It's like a, it's typically like a chemical effect, although given like Final Wars and presumably Returner. Returner uh, was shot on film. Okay, I wasn't sure if Returner was film or digital. In, in behind the scenes footage, um, you can see the camera they're using and it's very clearly a film camera, not a digital okay. camera. I wasn't sure. It, it looked like it could have been either. So in this case, it's a chemical. But yeah, essentially it's like, I think it's like you put like a black and white image over a color image or something. And essentially the final result is reduced saturation, but increased contrast and grain, which is definitely the look that this film has. Right. And like similar technique is used on like, it was, it was actually first used in film by, by Japanese filmmaker Konichi Kawa. And Really? Because it was essentially invented for by a Dai cameraman for his film. Which but film is this? 
her brother from 1960. Okay. And it would go on to be used in many, many other films, such as Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan or 97's Alien Resurrection. Okay, yeah, because it's definitely a look that I I at least think of, like... It's you. It's mid- also used in Beat Takeshi's Zatoichi film, Godzilla Final Wars, The Machinist with Kristen Bale, and even a Kamen Rider ex Kamen Rider Zeroes movie, huh. or Kamen Rider O's. Huh. Well, you know, yeah, and, it's... and the War of the Worlds remake with Tom Cruise. That I definitely could see because that's very yeah. Mute. It, it's got it's definitely that got that same look as all most of the other films I mentioned. So you know it's it's very much an, a two thousands movie, and we're going to talk about that as as we progress oh, here. Yes, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, we if, if you're ready to, I I can just transition right here into that intense opening that we have. Gladly. Yeah. So we we get the film starts off very quick, and. It doesn't so typically your your science fiction films like to like drag the opening with exposition a lot. Right. Whereas this film very much throws you it it throws you into the action and Yamazaki give you much context until later. No, this is one of those films that I mean Yamazaki kind of expects you to ask enough questions that as you follow the story, you get the answers you're asking and you can follow along more so than that. Even the, the film, I mean, the editing in this movie is very, I found Yamazaki's editing and angles and motion of the camera. Very interesting in this film. It's very fluid, but very fast. Yeah. I mean, definitely the fluidness kind of, to me, seems like a trade, seems like it's kind of like just a trademark of his style, because you kind of notice that in, I definitely noticed that in the first Always Sunset movie, mm-hmm. this is a fluidness to the movement of his camera, in even some of, in given it's a drama movie, you kind, I'm kind of used to like, not necessarily all still shots, but I have been watching a lot of Beat Takeshi movies recently. So right, there's a I lot. Am like, kind of getting used to that. I when I think of drama, I think of like Bong Joon Ho films, mm-hmm. and they're all very like fixed camera shots yes, that fixed don't camera. move. Yes. Whereas Yamazaki, I mean, he still does that, obviously, but at the same time, there are quite a few moments in the Always Sunset. I, I can't quite say trilogy yet because I still need to watch the third one, but. Mm-hmm. Is definitely it's the camera is a lot more fluid and moving than I would have expected, right? And so basically, what we're seeing is this destroyed Earth, or wherever they're at. We we don't really know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of refugees taking shelter in this place, and they need to. They this girl like is being shot at by these aliens. And so she jumps into this what appears to be a machine. Um, Very much in the same style as like one of the time machines from the Terminator. Mm, Um, I wonder if it's a time machine. And then we see her. Is it this scene where we see her plunge 
Or is that in a later sequence when she's explaining what she was doing? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, she does jump in at the in the opening. We see her okay. jump in. And then we cut to Title Card. Now, one thing I did find interesting about the opening title sequence is they very clearly market it as a Takashi Yamazaki film. Mm-hmm. And this is his second movie. So I thought that was really interesting that they were like a Takashi Yamazaki film. Yeah. Like, so, like, like I'm pretty sure that's no the first credit. credit. Yeah. I'm sure it's the only credit in the opening. And it's very clear. It stays on the, on the, uh, in the frame for a pretty decent long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was weird that they would credit him so prominently as his second right. movie. Um, obviously now, like, that's a whole other thing. Like, Takashi Yamazaki is, is a household name, basically, in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. So to, to think that by his second movie, they were already prominently displaying who he was makes me kind of understand that he was destined to to kind of be that that big director that he is now (laughs) so we're following the title sequence we're put on a boat Mm -hmm. where some human trafficking is going on if i if i'm reading reading the room rights yes um some gang members um, some of them are members of the Yakuza in, in the dub specifically. And I think in the subs as well, they, they just say mafia in the mafia. Right. I mean, um, from what I, it was more like the Chinese triads really. Right. Cause I mean, there's a lot of characters in this movie that are Chinese and not <clears throat> Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which the is, a, actor is a Taiwanese Japanese actor even. But in the movie, he's he says he's from China, uh, which I thought mm-hmm. was an interesting. It, it's interesting to see a character who, as an actor, he's half you know half Taiwanese, half Japanese, and he plays a Chinese character. Um, mm-hmm. And your villains, the the full Japanese individual. I think that's a very interesting. Uh, a, angle to go at for a japanese film Mm -hmm. um but in in this opening sequence we see these kids and and we're very quickly introduced to who our villain is yes Um, because he ends up he ends up shooting a kid and everybody's like why'd you do that like they're all shocked that he would do this so he's it's very quickly established that he's he's cold to the bone like he's he's a heartless monster um, and I, I, I appreciate that because it helps establish how awful of a person he is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no question that there's stakes too. Cause like, man, will kill kids. He doesn't care. Right. Kind of like he'll, he'll do whatever he wants to do. Like mm-hmm. nobody stops him. Right. And throughout the film, he kind of, I mean, he's very trigger happy. Like, Oh, the yeah. amount of people he he Don't kills. Shoot anyone. Is, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see that. But as as this whole sequence happens, they're ambushed by our main character, who is like this top assassin. Like he he dispatches everybody throughout <laughs> this boat pretty quickly and pretty easily. Yeah, 
He's even set up traps. And, you know, I it, it's and it's very obvious, like it's in, influenced by the Matrix. Um, oh, yeah, especially especially like the slow motion kick. Yes. And the fact that he looks like Neo. Yeah. You know, it's it's obvious what they're doing here. Um, oh, but, and also the, the longish hair also reminded me of Tak Sakaguchi from Versus. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got that, too. Um, I kind of said I, I wrote jokingly like he looks like the Japanese Orlando Bloom. Because he, he also kind of has that that personality that uh, Will Turner had in the Pirates movies, um, which I thought was kind of funny. But beyond that point, um, our main character gets, I mean, kills everybody pretty, pretty easily and pretty quickly. But eventually he gets stuck and surprised by our main villain mm-hmm. um, who he ends up holding at gunpoint. And that's when he finds out that it's it's the person that he's been searching for for a long time, only yeah. for somebody to sneak up behind him and for him to lose his focus on on our villain and ends up shooting a kid and when he turns around he's already escaped onto a helicopter in which our main character tries to shoot down but the but fails Mm -hmm. and if you want to take over from here a little bit yeah so after after mizuguchi disappears he's Suddenly teleported to a helicopter. Actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but during this sequence, they have a lot of techno music, right? Yes. yes. Which was, I mean, it was undoubtedly 2000s, but it's also like, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm down for it. Like, I love this. There's also a few musical cues that's kind of like, I'm pretty sure that's stock music. Um, Maybe. That I've heard elsewhere. But I was like, you know what? We'll go with it. Maybe. But yeah, essentially, Mizuguchi, the the two fire at each other a bit, but neither hit each other. They just run out of bullets and Mizuguchi leaves. From there, our main character, whose name is Miyamoto, takes the girl that he shot at, still alive, takes her, talks to the an informant lady whom essentially raised him. Z or Zay. Yeah. And gets and gets her to essentially research and find out find out everything she can on Mizuguchi. Now the way it's established, correct me if I'm wrong, Rex, but he's basically a hitman for her that she pays to kill people. Right. Which by the way, she's the best character in this movie. <laughs> Like, I I legitimately love her character because she's kind of like that. I don't give a bleep. Right. I know so much that I'm so far ahead of the game that nobody else knows what's going on. Right. And, And I just love her personality and everything about her. She's like the best part of this movie. Yeah. Following this, we are taken to... Miyamoto's home where Millie, whom is the girl that he shot at, wakes up, realizes that she is in the year 2002, specifically October 21st. I think it was 20th in this scene. 
because they still have a yes. couple days. Yes, they have two days. It's the twenty second that it ends. Yeah, she realizes she realizes she's in the present and essentially tries to convince tries to convince Miyamoto to help her with her objective, which she doesn't quite tell him yet. And then he kicks her out. Which, following this, he he goes and he goes shopping, and we find out that he has a love for for pasta. Oh, that's right. In the in the dub, they specify noodles, and it becomes this joke throughout the uh, movie that the girl uh, Millie loves that as well, noodles. but she calls it the wrong name. It was spaghetti, though. It was not noodles. Well, in in the subtitles they call it noodles if i remember correctly or no they say pasta they call it pasta right in the the subtitles they call it spaghetti i'm pretty sure the subs i read they said uh pasta near the end of the movie he's like it's not called al dente it's called spaghetti actually i think i do remember that now yeah but they do make that as a joke throughout the movie. There, there's some a few comedic moments. I mean, this is a buddy cop movie essentially without the buddy cop. Um, the the <laughs> duo is is very much a right comedic duo. Right. I mean, it's it's that it's that like it's the young girl like, and then the gruff badass like man essentially. I, I don't know how else to describe the trope. It's it's one that I've seen in a, a bit of a fair bit of Japanese media, but I, I I can't seem to remember most of the places I've seen it. Actually, I've seen it in Kamen Rider before. Black Sun. That's right. Well, the girl's very gruff as well. Like that's she's true. not that's like true. your pretty girl. She's very much the. I mean, she's kind she's of like cool. a Linda Hamilton. And a Linda Hamilton. I mean, she's more the Kyle Reese, frankly. I mean, if we're talking plot wise, but like she's more the Linda Hamilton right. from T two than than you know what you would typically see. Mm-hmm. But no, she she ends up going back to his apartment, and and this is where we get a very f- this is like the beginning of the funny exchanges that they they will have throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, essentially, he's, he finds out she's in there. After, they have a little exchange where they keep pointing guns at each other. And eventually she reveals that she's put a a bomb on his neck and then proves that it's a real bomb by... That it's a real, in quotation marks, bomb by shooting or blowing up a... a like an empty alcohol bottle. It's not empty. It's it's like, got alcohol in it. Whatever. By yeah, destroying a bottle with the explosive, the alleged explosive. And yeah. The two the two scuffle for a little bit and eventually Miyamoto agrees to helping her with her objective. The two, Even though he doesn't entirely believe it. Well, she hasn't told him what it is yet. Right. But he's throughout the first I would say third of this movie he's very much just kind of like doing it to get out of it yes and so from here they go back to the markets that the 
that Zay. Yeah, they go see Ie. Yeah, they go meet. I'm just gonna call her the Granny because I don't feel like misbutchering Chinese names. I'm gonna say Zay. G G. I bet it's G. It's pro probably G. Yeah, they go see G. Yeah, they get a bit of information out of her, and they also take some weapons, and eventually they go to the mountain to Mount Subaki, was it? I believe so. Right. So they go there because Millie believes that, knows that there's something of interest there. It's not quite revealed to the audience yet. And that's one thing this film does is it it leaves a lot of the answers till when they're necessary, so it yeah. keeps the audience member wondering what's going to questioning, happen. right? And it's it's not one of those things because the whole idea. I mean, this movie pulls its plot from Terminator, where it's like they're trying to alter the future by going back to the past. Mm -hmm. So it you you know what the future holds but you don't know what they want the future to be exactly right so it it's a pretty good way of of making it this plot that they that the audience has to continue to ask questions about right which which i think Keeping makes them engaged the of the story yes yes exactly yeah when they arrive at the mountain they find themselves held up by held up by the military who claim that a a an undetonated bomb has been found thus the two our two protagonists decide to park off somewhere and you know hike their way to the mountain discovering a discovering a crash site and Millie realizes that essentially Essentially what's happened is a spaceship landed on Earth and the and the military has taken it. I keep wanting to say US military for some reason. <laughs> well, it's very clearly the Japanese. Yes, I know. I don't know why I want to say US military. I guess I associate military with the US. During all this, we're also introduced to a subplot where our antagonist, Mizuguchi, is having a bit of strife with the rest of the Chinese triads he's in, specifically the leader, who's an old man. Now, in this exchange, it's it's basically said that the Chinese leader is, is wanting... Or no, that's, that's in the later scene where he says he wants to run Japan, if I remember correctly. Um, mm -hmm. This is kind of his uh, accepting of the journey... Mm -hmm. Where he is given this like task to go retrieve whatever it's at this laboratory. Right. Yeah. Following this, we f we get a flashback. Millie explains the backstory to to Miyamoto about her essentially being from the future. The film, the present in the film, is set in two thousand two, but she is from the year twenty eighty four where humanity is essentially at war with an alien race called the Dagadas. Mm -hmm. And they're all but extinct, the humans yeah, are. There's only... there. There's a refugee full of the last remaining humans, mm -hmm. and 
before Millie left, the aliens infiltrated the base and killed everybody. Like right. there was nobody left. She's basically the last human of this of of that that future alive. Right. And yeah, as the aliens attack, Millie essentially takes the quest to there's a time machine in the facility that's activated and Millie takes a device called the sonic mover, which essentially allows you to move like really fast, really fast yet temporary flash ability. Or, or is it slow down time? Honestly, what's the difference? (laughs) One's making time move slower. One's making you move faster. Yeah, potato, potato. It's very different. The movie does not make a distinction. It doesn't matter. None of this doesn't make. None of this makes sense. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Quote one Adam (laughs) Wingard, director of the worst Godzilla movie ever. Boy, boy, I had to bring it up. Excited for Godzilla X Kong coming out March twenty twenty four. No, I think you are. But please continue with Returner. <laughs> Miyamoto seemingly believes her theory or believes her story and is like, yeah, let, let's let's do this. Let's, let's save the Earth. Let's do all that. And it's like, you know, since, since I trust you now, you should trust me and remove this bomb from my back. And she's like, ah, oh, great. Does that. And then he just laughs and he's like, what are you... What do you paint me for, stupid? And And then to prove that she's from the future, she uses the wrist device, throws a thing of water in the air, and then runs to put the bomb back on him. Yeah. And then run back and put the water back in the cup. Right. Although he's still not 100%. He doesn't 100% believe her yet. Right, but that kind of like was like okay. That's that was a little weird. Like, mm-hmm. there's got to be something fishy going on here. Right, and either way, he's got the bomb back. So, <laughs> right now, after this, don't we go back to our yakuza members and them going to that base? Well, we get the introduction to the spaghetti, and then we right, right, and then we get a little bit of. Flashbacks for Miyamoto with him and his Chinese friend when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And because he gives the backstory to, to Millie about why he's in the place he's at. A little later, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we cut to Mizuguchi arriving at the like the science facility where he assault he assaults the spy like scientist that's working for the, with the triad, and she brings them into the facility where he discover where he sees the spaceship, and then soon enough is shown our first alien, which is actually not shown to the audience in this scene. We only really see Mizuguchi Correct. in the action. And honestly, up until this point, like I was when I was watching it for the second time, I kind of realized I was like, you know, 
you could remove the alien from this film and it would still be like interesting. Like, right. I, I don't know. It, this was when I realized that this film kind of is blending genres and the characters are interesting enough that I don't know if I would need the alien to still enjoy this movie. Right. And then after he sort of just toys with the alien, it activates a spaceship where in which we get a Shinji Higuchi cameo. Yes. Which which caught me now, off guard completely when I was watching He's it. not credited. Nah. If I remember correctly. Uh, he's he's not, not credited, but but I read in a in a uh, vlog that he was in it, so I was like, well, really? That's interesting. So yeah, we got we got our Shinji Higuchi I, I, cameo. I saw him in the in the scene and I'm like, wait a minute, is that no way is that Shinji Higuchi? And it was. From what I read, there's also yes, the special effects director of some of the like GMK and a couple of the other 2000s era Godzilla films also makes an appearance somewhere. But I don't, I don't know what he looks like, so I don't know where he appears. Gotcha. Now, this is probably partially due to, I mean... This is a Toho film, so I bet this was all simply because Toho needed extras, and they were probably at the Toho lot working on probably like Sinking of Japan. Um, would that have been no, around really. this time? That was 2006. Was it? Okay. That's oh. what I was... I, I don't know why I was thinking 03. Because um, this was after GMK, so Higuchi probably wasn't really working on any effects movies because he only briefly worked on GMK. Right. So I, it was probably just something Toho needed extras and, you know, they were on the Toho lot for a day Mm -hmm. and they were like, can you, can you do this? You're under contract. You can do this. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. But from here we're, I mean the, so what the ship does is it blasts this, this ball of energy into the mountain and the way it works is uh it it flips a car into the air and and it comes back down and explodes but it leaves this like very circular mark on everything it hits up until the mountain and it's a huge explosion mm-hmm. um i'm kind of surprised that they didn't tackle the idea of that huge of an explosion would have probably like brought a lot of people into that area like <laughs> SDF and firefighters and police and, and government officials well, they do address and all the that. firefighters to be fair. Right. But not like no as many as you would expect, but following this, um, if I remember correctly, uh, we get a weird moment where Millie, goes into our main character's room and puts up his jacket. Which is a weird piece of this film that we'll come back to. And then they run to uh, Z's uh, shop where she was watching the news and a weird CMN thing happens. More weirder than normal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 
where one of the the uh, anchors says, "Give me back the gate," mm-hmm. which I've still yet to understand what the gate means. Yeah, I mean they allude to the thought of it's like, "Give me back my child," but I don't understand why the term is the gate. Yeah, I didn't get that either. But it's not really focused on very much after this point. Like, the the alien's ability to make people talk for it does come back into play later. But those specific words don't really end up meaning anything. Right. After that scene, it's it's brought up, I believe, twice in that scene. And then they talk about the explosion uh, that was at the lab. Mm-hmm. Which then leads to our main characters getting some weapons and and heading out to the the lab once more. This they time with changed. a funny little sequence. Hmm? They even get changed. Oh, that's right. Because following this, he takes Millie to the assassin's shop. I guess. It was like, you can have whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, it was was kind of funny. And she gets cleaned up, Mm -hmm. um, gets a haircut, gets her face washed. She's acting like a child. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole joke in the movie that she doesn't like being called a kid. Mm -hmm. But she acts like one. But then we get a weird moment where he's... It does feel like the movie's trying to like allude to some romantic feelings, but also not at the same time. You know what, what? I'm talking about? What? Where? You you didn't get the feeling that our main protagonist had minor romantic feelings for Millie? No. <laughs> I got some of that, at least during the sequence where she was revealed with her like cleaned up look. I mean, that's which was really weird. I mean, I I noticed that shot was a little weird, but like. I didn't get the romantic vibes from. Their relationship at all. At the end, I kind of thought they were going to go with her essentially being like. If she didn't, she'd either go back, be sent back in time, or she'd sort of become like maybe like a surrogate daughter type role, which I feel like is kind of what the film's going for. I never got the right element. (laughs) But at least in this shot, like the way it's framed and and the way he reacts is kind of like, that's a little weird. Like, Like, man, I look, Kamen Rider the next, they're... (laughs) Look, that movie, just to keep Hongo in just to get Hongo involved with the plot, he literally stalks his student. Hmm. For like a good five minutes until the shocker writers show up to beat him up for being a better. Hmm. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, it's 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 weird, man. He he goes to his student's home and eventually after he gets fired by the school because because everyone in the school is af- every student is afraid of him. He's he's literally bullied in the movie because he's probably attracted to a student. 
oh. by his students. Like they bully him for being probably attracted to <laughs> Well, I don't know. For in, in sake. <laughs> I don't know. In the film it was just a weird moment that felt like it it was meaning something completely different than than what the rest of the film did because the rest of the film it's either like a brother sister thing or like a father daughter thing i got the um, father or just a partner thing yeah the the partner thing as well yeah um so once once they head off they end up meeting or finding somebody that can get them into this lab without causing a stir yeah, which has a funny little comedic moment where she put on one of the bombs on on this guy's <laughs> neck, and as the guy walks past the frame, it has like a Godzilla versus Gigant moment where like a circle <laughs> is on his neck and it says "look,", Look. and it just pauses um, for like a split second. Which is it's it's very Japanese, <laughs> and I love it. It was like a funny little comedic moment that right. I I definitely laughed out loud at. And this is also where the duo of them, like once they're finally working together, I think they have some great chemistry. Oh, one hundred. Our two main, like it, it becomes entertaining to watch them interact with each other and and bounce off of each other and and kind of. Oh, I think the comedic you know. elements with them is ve- are very funny. I, right, I think and that's it's not like the strongest part of the film for me. And what I appreciate is the comedic nature doesn't detract from the sad moments right. or the intense moments. I mean, I feel like the comedy felt mostly natural in this film. I agree wholeheartedly. I Which agree is with that. Probably like my personal styles of comedy are either like slapstick comedy or something that just, I guess, feels like real banter rather than mm-hmm. something that feels like it's written to be comedic. Right. Whereas in this film like definitely to be comedic, I just find it comes a comes across as forced. Right. And, and thus I don't find it funny. And in this film it's very much banter back and forth. Yeah. Which I think works perfectly. Oh, one hundred percent. And so they're they're officially infiltrated in the lab mm-hmm. and our main protagonist then has to kill everybody again to get to the alien to kill the alien because what our what Millie has been informed to do is to kill the alien because the alien is what brought on the end of the world and she needs to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean to be fair, Miyamoto hasn't actually killed anyone yet because Triad our Triad member, Mizuguchi, has shown up and he's also here to collect the he's here to collect the alien and it's Correct. killing everyone he's right he ends up shooting the the spy he shoots the alien well he doesn't shoot the spy or the alien yet that's later that's near the end well of this sequence right but yeah, he goes in and he he kills people as our main characters are trying to get down to the alien. I think, if I remember correctly, they end up do getting to the alien yes. before. Yes, they do. And she's confused because this is not the alien that she thought she was killing. Mm-hmm. Which this is where they isn't this where they allude to the like child thing with Millie. Which, 
No, with uh, the alien being like a child. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which is like, okay. So and it's in... where we first see it in full. Right. Um, which is a weird like assessment to just come to that it's the child mm-hmm. based off of the evidence of the gate, which didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a little confusing here, but Millie is very conflicted with killing mm-hmm. the alien, which I also didn't entirely understand. Like, it's nice that she didn't obviously, <laughs> but it's also like, why would you can be conflicted? You know what I mean? I mean, she just, she's kind of at a loss for what to do, really. Right. But from this moment, we get... Plus, the alien I mean, they kind of is dying anyways. As right. Realize. And so they kind of back off as our villain goes on his little spree, ends up killing the lab spy, shooting the alien, and just as, like... They are about to take the alien. That's when our main character uh, surprises them. Yeah, minus the part that he actually doesn't shoot the alien. He he doesn't shoot it until near the end of the film. Oh, that's right. Yes. That's right, yeah, because it's on the oil rig. Yes. But he does have a scuffle with his main with the main character where the main character sort of confronts Mizuguchi about their past together, Mizuguchi having essentially no memory of them at all. Right. Which I mean this is like twenty years ago. Yeah. And considering considering how many people he's probably killed in that time yeah. frame, like I, I can't I can't entirely blame him for for not remembering. Yeah, it, it was just another human trafficking operation for him. Exactly. <laughs> um, just as you do. I mean, hey, it's pretty relevant in these times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, and and from here we get a pretty interesting, uh, kind of claustrophobic, um, fight sequence between the yakuza and and our main character well they're not the yakuza and they're then, triads is that confirmed that like all the people of his his group are chinese well they're a part of the chinese triad so I'm... gotcha following this they after me millie escapes using the sonic mover device did they escape with the alien in this scene? No. That's right. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, their plan was to, but they didn't because... Just because. Yeah, they didn't. It, it, I I remember being a little confused by like why they did the thing they did during this sequence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the two the two essentially escape to the car. Mizuguchi has a little tantrum. It's pretty funny. The actor here, Goro Kishitani, is kind of chewing up the scenery in this role, honestly, <laughs> throughout yeah. the entire film. 
well, correct me if I'm wrong, but but don't they end up uh, shooting our main character Miyamoto? They may have shot at it. They may because have because then Millie has to take him back to G, and then uh, she has to uh, right, Millie right ends yeah. up bandaging him up, and when he finally comes to. He's like, who did this? And she said, it's in military training, which is when he finally realizes that the aliens are real. The invasion's true. She is from the future. She, you know, all of that's true. And this is kind of the changing point of him as a character kind of fighting against what she's been saying. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the the triad, Mizuguchi and the triads take the alien's ship and... Mizuguchi sends some of his goons to get information on Miyamoto from from the granny. Gigi. Yes. I'm not going to butcher um, her name. I, I'm, we're, we're bad enough with Japanese names. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in this sequence, um, we get the very wonderfully done Band-Aid moment. Mm-hmm. Where she reveals that the bomb is just a band-aid. That's and she right. used she used some some of her future technology to make the explosion happen and whatnot. Yeah, I and think what that, happened was like she she like shot she just shot the the bottle earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just hid the gun and, behind her back and shot at it. And so this whole time he's been paranoid about getting his head blown off when it was just a joke. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a little upset, but then he jokes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this whole scene's brilliant. Oh yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> During all this, we also find out about Miyamoto and, and Millie's backstory. Like, so Miyamoto grew up in China with a boy named Zihuan. And essentially, one day he came back to find that Zihuan and I definitely butchered that. And I, and I talked about not butchering the grandest name, Jesus. <laughs> and and yeah, when he cut, when he returns this one day, Mizuguchi's there rounding up Zihuan and various other kids, and essentially he's going to sell them all. Right. Leading to his and then leading to his essentially grudge against Mizuguchi. Regret feeling feeling guilt for not saving his friend. Right. And then they go back, talk to Ji, where she gives them some info. And this is around the time that Mizuguchi's goons appear. And show up at at her place, um, which then she it leads her to saying, "Go out the back door, take the motorcycle. Uh, I'll meet up with you guys." Mm. Well, that happened a little, and bit so this, but yeah, that's right, that's right. So then they they get on the bike, they travel, they're waiting, and then I believe they don't really like it. Just it goes to G meeting up with them. Well, that's where we get 
Miyamoto's full backstory and Millie talking right. about her, uh, her dead brother who got killed by the aliens. Right. And then she shows up is and they're like, why are you late? And she ends up like handing them a whole arsenal. And then she reveals that she was being followed, but she has a plan for it. And this is where I really realized that she's like the best character <laughs> in this movie because she like has a plan for everything. She is the best. And she never gets caught. And uh, when she was sending them off, when the goons arrived, she did say, I've been in this. Uh, I don't remember the exact word, but basically I've been in this like for too long to not figure out how to do me, like do my thing and, and not get in trouble. Um. And then we get the whole motorcycle chase that feels very much uh, Final Wars-ish that I wonder if Kitamura kind of took inspiration from. And Honestly, we think I was more that... Common Rider during this sequence. <laughs> I mean, maybe Common Rider, maybe, maybe Yamazaki took it from Common Rider and then Kitamura took it from Yamazaki. Or maybe they both took it from Common Rider. I mean... It's a bike chase. I'm going to think a common rider. Okay. <laughs> um but th- then we get the doubt of like maybe she didn't do anything. And then right as he's about to like take ownership of the situation, suddenly the car just explodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's what she did." And then from here, we're into the final part of the movie, which is all on an oil rig, correct? Yes. yes. So the final part of the movie is on an oil rig. Um, our main antagonist ends up killing the old Chinese man um, because he realizes with the alien spacecraft, he has the ultimate power and can take control. Right. And he... I mean, he ends up shooting the alien in this scene because the alien's not cooperating and he's just, you know, being the character he is. Mm-hmm. Only for our two main characters to show up to save the day, hopefully. But that doesn't end up working too well initially. Right. Um, Millie is caught and it appears that our main character Miyamoto. has met an end and two of Miyamoto to a flurry of bullets and even a rocket. And from here we think all is lost. And this is where we kind of get me and noticed that and noticed what he was wearing on his arm. <laughs> Fair. Good attention to detail. So Millie tries to like reason with him, but it clearly doesn't work. I mean, he's just bad to the bone. He's an awful human being. This is where he actually shoots the alien. Yes, I was about to say this is where he shoots the alien. Aliens crying. You mentioned. Well, he shot the alien, which was kind of shocking. I didn't expect him to shoot the alien. Mm Mm-hmm. 
even though that's probably what you should do in most situations. Species. I mean, no, I mean, if there's a xenomorph, you should probably shoot it. I'm going to be honest with a revolver. That's not going to work. I mean, it worked on one. You have amazing aim and you can shoot it in the head like enough time. Or your Vazquez and you just push its head onto the wall and pow, 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 pow. That's not a revolver. Well, I'm pretty sure it was. No, it's not. What was it? It's a pistol. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Well, aren't they using pistols? Mizuguchi's using a revolver. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. The other characters, like Miyamoto and like Millie, are using every other character is using a pistol, except for him. Well, the well, well, the guards are using like assault rifles. Assault rifles, yeah, yeah. Get your gun. So, (laughs) I I literally said assault rifles at the same time you did. So this is where Millie pistols bit. Uh huh. This is where Millie realizes that she was also. What's the term I'm looking for? Miyamoto also surprised her because she realizes she's missing the wrist device. Yes. And this is where she's like, You underestimated my partner. And he's like, That kid calling me her buddy. And so I love this. Like, I remember when I first watched this, this was the second time I've ever seen the film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, second and third. Um, I remember when I first watched this movie, I was really like happy to see this sequence. I, I didn't notice that the wrist device was on his wrist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, only for it to happen. I was like, that's that's pretty good. Um, And then he, you know, he absolutely demolishes everybody right dodging um, all the bullets dodging all the bullets one, one matrix one style the inspiration is. um millie gets the alien tries to run away realizes that it's sunrise and she thinks she's too late but miyamoto is is encouraging her not to give up mm-hmm. um and then when they think all is lost after defeating all but our main antagonist who ends up having them pretty much at like point blank. Yeah. Um, the, the joke that started at the beginning because uh, Miyamoto has this thing where this phone will pop out of his sleeve mm-hmm. and it's actually a thing for a bomb. So all he has to do is hit the like call button. Yeah. And every time they see this, they're like, what are you going to do? Make a call. Um, which every time, I mean, both times it's used. And it, uh, if I remember correctly, doesn't the alien spacecraft yeah. blow up? So he blow he blows up, like, most, like, this, I guess, area that they're in, and which sends the spe- alien spacecraft flying, and he's like, tells Millie, or I hope, I hope the, hope the ship has good defenses or something along those lines. And they enter the ship as to avoid the explosion, as all the guards and Mizuguchi are seemingly killed. 
only for Mizuguchi somehow to still be alive and pulls uh is it with a, like a, a, a like rod stuck in his chest and he just pulls it out he's like you barely missed <laughs> it's like right above where his heart would be mhm and then he still has his gun whereas Miyamoto does not it's on the ground and they're screwed and then we get the bullets and then we find out that the aliens protecting them with the force field yes which which is something that was going to i mean they showed that the aliens had like a force field ability beforehand right but they also kind of hinted at the fact that the force field kind of varied like they had to like make new force fields so it's it's a little bit of plot convenience it's a little plot convenient it's set up well enough, I'd say. And so this gives Miyamoto enough time to get a gun and, and finally put a bullet in shooting, his arch. Shooting Mizuguchi through the hand and to the forehead. Finally getting rid of his arch nemesis, who he's been trying to kill for... 15 years. 15 years. And then all of a sudden, a jumbo jet appears. Yes. And then it, and it transforms... transforms. Surprisingly, this and came it's, out before Transformers. Yeah, and then Welcome. this is the alien's parents. So it was a child, and they somehow have a healing device that like heals the alien immediately. Mm-hmm. How, I don't know, but I mean, that's pretty cool. Just yes. Um. And then we find out that essentially what happened. So, I mean, this has been basically what they are saying, but it's pretty well clarified by now. The reason the aliens invaded the world was their child was killed. And so they basically sought out revenge and and was planning on destroying the entire Earth. Like they weren't going to invade at all. They're peaceful until, you know, they're. Yeah. And so everything's good. And then we uh, find out because Millie is fading out of existence that they have changed the future and everything is good. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of a heartfelt ending, like for all the action comedy and and whatnot that's happened. Like this is kind of a heartfelt ending. Yeah. Um, Miyamoto doesn't. Yeah, because Miyamoto doesn't want Millie to leave, but Millie has to leave. Like, the space-time continuum will not let her stay. Mm-hmm. And he's like, can you just stay a little bit? Um, and then she ends up disappearing before he can hug her, and he's left alone. Mm-hmm. And then he we we're, we transition back to, to G's place, where he's retiring from being a hitman. Mm-hmm. And this whole sequence is just like horrifying to me. I remember watching this and being <laughs> like shocked in disbelief. <laughs> so he not like shortly after he retires, he goes out and he, he starts a, smoking a cigarette only for a guy who he left to survive appears with a gun and a cane because uh, Miyamoto did shoot him in the leg and now he's permanently injured from that mm-hmm. pulls out the gun Miyamoto realizes he has no weapons to defend himself 
and gets shot. My heart dropped <laughs> when this happened. Yeah, I was not expecting this either. <laughs> and but so the camera lingers, and and what's interesting is at the uh, about halfway through the film, they actually brought this up right. because. Miyamoto found some newspaper clippings on the floor of him being dead. Which he thought was like a warning from the triads or something. But the grandmother was like, they would just shoot you dead. They wouldn't bother with this. Right. So and earlier it, in the film as well, Millie talks about how since, since Miyamoto helped her, she wants to return the favor to him some, some day or another. And she promises she will, but he never believes her. Right. And we had the weird moment with the jacket earlier that just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But now it all... So, okay, after a very long and dramatic pause, like, what happens in the scene should not have taken this long of a dramatic pause, in all honesty. <laughs> uh, but Miyamoto gets up. And reaches into his pocket where, just as Millie had a bulletproof shard protecting her, he had the same mm -hmm. that kept the bullet from entering his body. And this is where we find out that a future Millie went back in time to plant the shard in his jacket. So at that moment in the film where we had Millie saying, oh, your jacket fell and I was putting it up. That was future Millie right. trying to quietly put that in his jacket to save him in the future while another Millie is creating the future that the future Millie comes from where they are, you know, safe and sound from the aliens. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty brilliant i i, nice I enjoyed that like i feel like i've seen it before but it is a nice payoff it's 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 just a nice moment <laughs> and and this film does have a lot of those there's a lot of like the script is very solid when it comes to the payoffs and right and bringing everything returning everything back to where they started uh are you proud of that one i am i'm very proud you shouldn't be so he gets back up after, you know, this brilliant, like, conclusion, and he just kind of walks off into the sunset as this song that is a bopper plays. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like Van Halen, to be honest. It was kind of like a little, little Van Halen-ish. Um, mm. I kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we have finished Returner. Nice. Credits roll and everything, everything's over. So, Rex, do you have anything else you want to say at the, for the conclusion of this? Or do you want to transition into, into the final, you know, cast and crew info and, and whatnot? Transition to the cast, cast and crew intro and all that stuff. <laughs> okay. So we've already talked about director, writer, and effects director Takashi Yamazaki. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on past him momentarily to 
talk about the other effects director, uh, Katsuro Unoue, who worked on Blue SWAT, B Fighter, and B Fighter Kabuto, the three Metal Hero series. He also I mean, has a, worked on Ultraman. Massive history of like Kamen Rider, Sentai, Metal Heroes, and all them. Even though, like, yeah. the ones you mentioned, I believe, were the ones where he was special effects director, I want to say. Yeah, he also was effects director on Ultraman Z, on Mayuji 2, Attack on Titan 1 and 2, various Sentai shows. Like, that's what he's done most, is Super Sentai. Right. And then he worked on Black, Black RX, J. Agito, it looks like one of the Agito movies, mm-hmm. uh, Ryuki, Ultraman vs. Kamen Rider, and Shin Kamen Rider. Right. He also worked on the following films as various different uh, roles. Gamera 3, Revenge Virus, Godzilla 2000, On Mayuji, Cutie Honey, Sinking of Japan, 20th Century Boys 3, Giant God Warrior Appears in Tokyo, Gihara, The Long Dark Haired Monster, Gotcha Man, the live action film, Ultraman Taiga, and Shin Ultraman. You know, funny you mentioned Giant God Warrior. Because I was reading up on Yamazaki, and apparently his dream, one of his like, one of his dream projects for like a movie he would love to direct is a live action adaptation of Nausicaa for Valley of the Wind. Is that where the God Warrior comes from? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Which is also um, the first, I believe, the first movie Arno worked on. Huh. I didn't know that because he animated I, I know very... God Warrior in the original film. Oh, that's okay. I didn't know that. That makes it more interesting how that that short goes kind of full circle. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all tokusatsu. That's not animated, if I remember correctly. In the in the short film, yeah. Yeah. In the animated um, film, it's obviously animated. <laughs> right, right. Um, but as for producers, Toru Hirobe uh, worked on Parasite Eve and Space Travelers. The other, uh, another producer, Chekahiro Ando, worked on the Always Trilogy, Parasite Eve, Juvenile, K20, which uh, Takashi Yamazaki's wife co-wrote, um, Space Battleship Yamato and Eternal Zero. Again, all of those are Yamazaki titles. The other pro- uh, producer, Yoshi- Yoshinari Shimato- Shimatani, uh, worked on Gantz. Space Battleship Yamato, 20th Century Boys, Always Sunset 1 and 2 on Mayuji and K20. Shuji Abe, uh, another producer, worked on K20, Always Sunset Trilogy, Space Travelers, Parasite Eve, Eternal Zero, The Great War of Archimedes, Archimedes Lupin the Third, the First. And then, as for your three main actors, Takashi Kaneshiro who played Mina uh, Miyamoto. He was also in K-20. An Suzuki was in Juvenile, Moonchild, and Ghostbook. And Goro Kishitani as Mizoguchi was in Gachiman, mm-hmm. One Miss Call, in the Rasan TV show. I knew he... I had a funny feeling he was in something ring. I could not... I was <laughs> not... I wasn't sure which one he was in. I had a feeling it was one of the TV shows. Yep. I now, as for the familiar. as for the majority of the remaining actors, a lot of them didn't do a lot of tokus uh, like any real tokusatsu. And I mean, to be honest, there's not... Kiki who plays like the granny. She's she's a very like a rather well known Japanese actress. I mean, probably her most like 
well-known modern film is Shoplifters from 2018, which starred mm-hmm. like Sakura Ando and Lily Frankie, which was a very, a very big, or which was like an Oscar-winning film, essentially, like best foreign film of 2018, which I believe was actually her last film prior to her death in 2018. I think you're correct. Outside of that, she also did appear in like Kamikaze Girls and even like Rex a Dinosaur Story. Hmm. So she had been on a little bit of Toku outside of Returner, but not much. Right. And a lot of and this is kind of an interesting thing about Returner is it does it feels very indie, despite kind of having, you know, Toho behind it. Like it, it's a very tiny film. Mm-hmm. There's only a handful of characters, really. A lot of, I mean, the rest of the characters are really side characters. There's only your th- your three, like, Ji, uh, Miyamoto, and Millie, and then, and then there's me. you've got, like, yeah. And, and that's really it. That's, that's your main important core. Yeah. And then everybody else is a side character that has maybe a minute and a half of screen time. Right. The only real one that leaves much of an impression is like the Chinese Chinese triad like leader. But even then, I don't think his subplot. The only reason it exists really is to like give Mizuguchi a reason to be involved. Right. And I think that's why in the TV version they cut that whole thing out. Yeah. Was just because, I mean, you could, you could, in theory, you could cut it and the story like, would like be. Cut out like the. I feel like you can't cut out the first scene where they establish them because that's, that's what brings Mizuguchi into the plot with the alien. Right. But you could probably cut out the conflict between Mizuguchi and the triad members from the film. I feel like right. you could probably get away with that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing really is, is it establishes that they want control of Japan. And then he doesn't want that, so he just kills them. Well, I thought it was more that Mizuguchi was like, wanted control of Japan. Well, right, but the, the triad wants control, so it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. So he would rather just kill them and get them out of Japan than then have right. to worry about cuz i mean he's he's your basic power hungry yeah. antagonist yeah so the reason we're doing yamazaki month is is in hype of godzilla minus 1 right mhm so what this is going to be kind of an interesting question i feel like but what does this do for you in building up excitement or maybe making you have questionable doubts about Yamazaki's film? Well, it makes me excited for how the action is going to direct it, be directed in Yamazaki's upcoming Godzilla film. I'm very curious how... Well, we've seen a little bit of Godzilla action, and it seems to have a fair amount of energy based on that teaser trailer we were shown, particularly with shots like that of the train being thrown around. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you can, I think there's an energy to Yamazaki's filmmaking that 
you can see in the in the Always Sunset trilogy in certain scenes, but it's mm-hmm. really like out in the open in this film that I'm pretty pretty excited to see in minus one. Yeah. My only for me I think with minus one based on both this film and the Always Sunset trilogy is maybe some of the pacing will be a tad long. Because I feel like, I, I don't think this film is too bad with it, but I do feel, especially like the Always Sunset movies, I do feel like their, their main flaw is that they are a bit too long for their own good. Okay. Okay. See, I will say this this movie is two hours long. It's about four minutes shy of that, if I remember correctly. And I, you know, I feel like you could tighten it up by maybe about ten minutes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, the first time they go to the lab for me seems a little redundant. Yeah. Um. I, but that's really it. Um, I will say I I do love the the character interactions here. Um, I love the the human story. Mm-hmm. Um, and from my understanding, I mean, I that's the, what always. Oh, the yeah. <laughs> oh, the always sunsets trilogy has, or so far, duology for me has like a great cast of characters. So I will say that's probably something I'm looking forward to is to see what Yamazaki's human human cast is. We we still don't know um what the characters are. We don't even know so the cast it, members yet. Please Sakura Ando, please let that be true. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring uh An into it, maybe. Who? Uh, the Millie actress. Oh yeah, I was actually I actually had that thought too. Where like, damn, she was in Ghostbook. Maybe she'll be in. She was in Ghostbook. Maybe she'll be in minus one. She could be. <laughs> maybe she's one of the main. Because uh, to be honest, thinking about it, like she was in his first movie, his second movie, and his most recent movie, and Ghostbook was kind of the leading hint towards minus one happening. Mm-hmm. Um. I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up being maybe one of the main cast members. Maybe. Because she, by now, she'd be old enough to, you know, have maybe gone through the entire war. Um, So she might be able to, like, understand the atomic bombing based off of her age. Um, So I could definitely see her maybe being, maybe one of, maybe there's a main female character. So maybe she could be that female character. It really depends on where they go with the movie and who they believe is best for the role of the characters. Right, right. But I'm, it's I'm, all this is all purely speculation. We don't we don't know anything. The Sakura Ando rumor is true. Please, God, that would be peak, peak. But I feel like if there's going to be a main female character, it's definitely going to be one of the two. Hmm. I mean, Sakura um, Ando, I only suggest her because, A, she's brilliant, B, she was rumored to be on set. Right. So, you know, it's... I'm I'm personally excited based off of this movie, mm-hmm. how well the human dynamic will be, especially if it's maybe kind of like 54, how 54 has, like, your four main... 
or your three, four, four main characters. So if if Yamazaki's remotely doing anything close to fifty four, having like that can, tight, Yamazaki can definitely balance characters well. I mean, the Always Sunset film have like two. It's essentially focuses on two cast groups. There's the Suzuki family with like Shinichi Tsutsumi's character, his wife, his son, and then like the girl that ends up working for them that kind of becomes like a surrogate daughter. And then in the second film, it's like their niece also kind of joins the mm-hmm. family for a bit. And then those film, and then the second cast of characters is like Chigawa, who's like the writer who ends up envision writing about Godzilla in one of his stories leading to that Godzilla opening. And then his story with like his Junosuke, which is like his, I guess his surrogate son, his adoptive son, really. And then, and then Hiromi, who's the love interest for him. And like, it's, it's, it's a balancing act for having those two character groups and it works really well. And on top of that, there's even more characters in those films. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, see, I'm I I'm pretty hopeful of at least based off of Returner, at least on the human I, side of the I, film. I think we're in very good hands with the human side. I think we're in good hands. Better so, than when God's hands, at least. Right. And the story, like, even if they do like back and forth jumping from the war to like post war Japan, I I I doubt they would do that, but if they were it, I feel like it. they could do it. Um, but I feel like we could, we could jump around at least if, if we're trying to cover all of Japan during post-war, um, I feel like Yamazaki can also do that, like jump around and establish everything. And if he kind of follows this same storytelling of like not giving the, uh, uh, the, uh, oh, what am I thinking? Uh, I don't know. Uh, No, if if we see if we see a story kind of like this film where like Yamazaki doesn't tell you everything and you're kind of left to kind of figure it out as the story progresses, I think that could be very interesting. Oh yeah. Um like follow the human characters as they learn about Godzilla or something like that. Right. Um we're just like maybe maybe the film like would start off with Godzilla appearing. And then we kind of follow as as the country, right? And like it, you know, that also follows into like the whole country falling apart and whatnot. Like that, I feel like that could be a very interesting uh, plot point if they if they go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just just based off of how Returners at least structured and how you know what little we know of minus one so far. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my answer to that question, at least is is the human characters and the story. But I am a little concerned about, like you said, pacing, especially towards the final act. Mm. So I mean, that's I, that's my at answer. least. I, I I can forgive it more for Godzilla because more more Godzilla movie, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So. So with that, I think, I mean, is there anything else you want to bring up 
not really. It's not really anything else to talk about, and we can't exactly do much of a ranking yet, can we? <laughs> so, so where would you put Returner on your ranking list? Oh, oh, well, so out of all the options, we've got Returner. So I think we're, I'm going to have to put Returner at number one. You know, me too, me too. So, so far, so far, we're we're in agreement. We're in agreement. So I think all we have left is the shameless self-promotion that we can give our lovely audience. Mm -hmm. um, so Rex, why don't you tell the lovely people at home where they can find you at? Gladly. Well, listeners, you can find me on YouTube, at Rexena, on Twitter, at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And then as for me, hi, my name's Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, or on Instagram at ET13Productions. If you want to find my personal accounts, it's not that difficult, but I'm not going to link them. I am also the production manager, staff writer, and head of the video department for Kaiju Ramen Media. I write articles for Kaiju Ramen Magazine and the website kaijuramenmedia.com. I also oversee all of the development of the magazines, and I am the head of the editing and video creating department of Kaiju Ramen Media on YouTube. So go check those out. Again, kaijuramenmedia.com, Kaiju Ramen Magazine, and Kaiju Ramen Media on YouTube. So with that, we got one last thing to do, Rex, and, and that's oh. to let the lovely people at home know how they can support our lovely little podcast here. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We are still sitting at a 3.1. I feel like with how much we talk, we're at least worth a 3.5. At least. Maybe. But if you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't actually. That's very much a lie. I'm using an Apple device right now to do this podcast. You can rate us on Spotify. We've got six reviews so far, and we're all at five stars. So thanks to everybody who's reviewed. I wish you would show us because I would definitely shout you guys out. But keep them coming. It's it's highly appreciated. We do appreciate the five stars. We We really do. So thank you guys so much for that. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a T-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. <laughs> if you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of people that have similar interests to you. It looks like recently on the Discord server, there was a discussion about Ultraman Blazer and its cinematography. Mm. So it's it's a great community full of great people. Highly recommend. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. I can tell you, at least from this recording, there should be one or two minisodes coming out. So and those are exclusive to the YouTube channel. Um, we also 
you know, like I said, we post exclusives like minisodes or bloopers. Uh, we also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jerk Kuchaveski on the channel. I definitely butchered his name. I apologize. That's but we weird. also have a monthly stream titled Kaiju Conversation Live where I hop on with the guest and we talk for between an hour and a half to five hours. Um, most recently, I had Jack Hudgens of the Drift Space podcast and of uh, G-Man on Mysterioid on Twitter. He came on and we talked about Oppenheimer. Um, you could have joined us and, and listened to it live and interacted, or you could listen to the bonus episode that came out following that. So definitely check that out. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Definitely check them out. Thank you, Rex. This stuff I know is a lot, but I appreciate it. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. So with that, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, I'm out of things to say, Rex. You got anything else? No. I've, I've said everyone. <laughs> Perfect. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Too now, baby.